This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Shots of Spectators Daily Politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by Kate Andrews and Isabel Hardman. So pressure is rising on the Chancellor in the face of the cost of living crisis uh, with some new figures out today on inflation. Kate, can you talk us through them? So the Office for National Statistics gave us the update on April's inflation figures and uh, the headline rate rose to 9% on the year in April, up from 7% in March. Really a significant rise. Uh, This takes inflation to a 40-year high and it's also a very fast rise. Now, we can quite easily explain April's um, big hike by the fact fact that that was the month that the energy price cap was lifted. And for your average household, that escalated bills by about 54%. So, you know, we can understand where that figure comes from. But the difficulty, obviously, Katie, is that inflation has been on the rise for many, many months now. This is the same week that the governor of the Bank of England appeared in front of the Treasury Select Committee, where he basically said that he felt helpless, even though, you know, more or less, he and the Monetary Policy Committee have one job, and that's to meet the inflation target of 2% well below the 9% we're at now. This is causing all sorts of difficulties. It's causing causing tension amongst central bankers, politicians pointing the finger of blame at each other quietly in briefings because they don't want to be found responsible for this terrible price spiral that we're seeing. It's causing pressure on the chancellor to move faster than his autumn budget. In many ways, a lot of this is out of politicians control. These are international factors, energy prices rising, supply chain issues, the consequence of shutting down the global economy, turning it on and off again over several years. But there are things that both politicians and central bankers separately could have done over the past six months. We could have been looking at the tax burden. Central bankers should have had their eye on inflation, probably moving on interest rates much sooner. So the difficulty now is so far down this rabbit hole with prices going up really quite a lot. How do they act now? And on that, Isabel, Labour are once again pushing for a windfall tax and the government once again is saying nothing is off the table. Do we learn any more in terms of what the government is thinking about at Prime Minister's questions? Yeah, so Boris Johnson was very much on the defensive today at Prime Minister's questions. And you could tell he was deeply uncomfortable because he was very quick to start talking about Keir Starmer not being able to define uh, what is a woman which is interesting but irrelevant in this context and lots of others, in fact. And he ended up saying that the government was considering all measures that were possible to help with the cost of living. He did talk about some of the the problems with the windfall tax, but like Rishi Sunak, he does appear to be preparing the ground for a potential U-turn on this. Not least because... He doesn't really have very much else to say in response to the complaint from Labour. And uh, I felt watching the session that really he was just sort of playing catch up on all the different things Labour is saying he should be doing. Uh, An emergency budget being another thing that he inadvertently set hairs running on himself after the Queen's speech when he said that the government would be announcing more help uh, for households on the cost of living in in the coming days and everyone assumed that meant an emergency budget so that particular measure has has probably continued as a possibility for much longer than it should have done thanks to Boris Johnson so he was he was struggling quite a bit Um, Keir Starmer 
uh, actually had much fresher lines, I felt, than than the Prime Minister. Uh, he ended up describing Jacob Rees-Mogg as going around putting uh, notes on civil servants' desks uh, like an overgrown prefect, which I thought was a, a lovely line. And he also basically said that this uh, windfall tax was an, ine- an inevitable U-turn um, that the Prime Minister might as well just get on with. And it, it is difficult to see how the current position can be maintained. That said, we've also seen uh, Liz Truss making clear that she thinks that there are problems with the windfall tax and that Rishi Sunak should be cutting taxes, not putting more taxes on, on different sectors. Kate, there are lots of Tory MPs who are coming around to the idea of a windfall tax. And we know the Chancellor is considering it in a way that he hadn't previously. And they'll cite things such as, you know, record profits, some of the interviews about investment. Um, do you think that there is more of a case for a windfall tax than there was a few months ago? I don't think there's a case for a windfall tax because realistically the money that we're talking about raising from it anywhere between a billion pounds to three billion pounds, no small chunk of change, but in the context of what we're dealing with now, it is relatively small when you consider that Rishi Sunak had to put up nine billion pounds in February to help people with this latest hike in the energy price cap. You still help a bit though. Well, it I think you have to look at the trade-offs, right? So if you're going to get, say, a billion to three billion pounds from a windfall tax, what are you trading there? And and this is where the Tories, I think, are in so much trouble. If they end up compromising on this principle that money doesn't really belong to you or to the company or to the private individual or, or business, it essentially belongs to the state and the state can come along at any time when things get tough and just take it away. Think about if a Jeremy Corbyn or John McDonnell were sitting in the hot seat, what they might do with that principle if the Tory party has already seen it. I think when we're talking about the scope of, say, a billion to three billion pounds, again, no small chunk of change, but the Tory party should be looking at where else they can find that money, where spending is happening inefficiently, what they don't need in the immediate so that they could pledge to spend that kind of money on helping to alleviate the cost of living crisis for people at the bottom end of the pay spectrum. I think that would be a much better trade-off about seeding this point about who money and wealth ultimately belong to. And, you know, looking at what's happened with the NI hike now as well, because of the changes that Rishi Sunak made in his spring statement, it's bringing in about six billion pounds. Again, not a small amount of money, but I think already in retrospect, they're saying, gosh, we shouldn't have hiked taxes. We should have found that money elsewhere. And if they bring in a windfall tax, I think in retrospect, they'll think the exact same thing again, but that principle they'll have thrown under the bus. And in the years and decades to come, that might mean more than anything else. Isabel, you mentioned when the Prime Minister, shall we say, misspoke, uh, suggesting there would be an announcement on the economy in the Queen's speech debate. But do you think that we could end up with something like an emergency budget? The Treasury line is currently no, but Dominic Cummings, uh, I think probably fair to describe as the Prime Minister's chief nemesis, his former advisor, has um, suggested in his uh, newsletter that he is predicting now the Prime Minister will ultimately blink and there will be an emergency budget, um, something that he suggests the Treasury won't like. What do you think? Yeah, it was interesting uh, following... Johnson uh, suggesting that there would be an emergency budget. The, the Treasury obviously weren't expecting this, but even though Johnson then was sort of clarifying that this didn't mean an emergency budget, he had said there would be more measures in, in the coming days. And the Treasury didn't seem to know about that either, which I thought was much more telling actually than the row over the emergency budget or not. And uh, what we seem to be expecting now is that there will be a package to help with energy bills in July um, and then 
tax cuts announced uh, in the next economic statement in the autumn. And this is part of the desire by Rishi Sunak to try to announce help, particularly with energy bills, when households are starting to think about next winter. Uh, Because at the moment, his anxiety and that of some Conservative MPs is that actually things haven't bitten as badly as they might be about to because it's quite warm at the moment. I mean, if you've got your heating on now, then that's slightly odd. And later in the year, when people are having to decide whether or not to turn their heating back on when it is actually necessary, that's the time politically when they think it would be better to be announcing um, support packages. But, you know, look, there are people already who've who've just had a, a dreadful winter who are seeing their bills going up now in a way that they cannot afford. So I, I'm not sure whether just waiting for it to get cold is, is quite the right political judgment here. And just finally, Isabel, um, the other news that we haven't spoken about yet is uh, relating to a, a Tory MP and uh, an arrest. Can you talk us through what's happened? Yes, so a Conservative MP in his 50s has been arrested and now um, bailed by the Metropolitan Police following allegations of rape, indecent assault, sexual assault, the abuse of a position of trust and misconduct in public office. And these alleged offences stretch from 2002 to 2009. A complaint was made uh, in January 2020 and the Met have been investigating since then. Now, um, the MP's not being named. We're being told that that's to preserve the anonymity of uh, the complainant. It is worth pointing out that in other cases that have not proceeded through the criminal justice system, but which have led to arrests and no charges, this line about not naming the MP who was arrested a different MP was also used um, to preserve the anonymity of the complainant. But I know that in at least one previous case, the complainant was actually very keen for the um, MP in question to be named because they felt that uh, that that would actually help the investigation. But as I say, that the um, uh, charges weren't put made in that case and the MP in, in question wasn't named. So that MP who was arrested this week has been asked by the Chief Whip not to come into Parliament uh, while the investigation continues. And this has led to another row after Conservative MP Michael Fabricant tweeted a joke about how well attended Prime Minister's questions was going to be because lots of MPs were going to be there to prove that they weren't the one that the Chief Whip had uh, told to stay away from the estate, which has understandably enraged a lot of people who think that he's making light of, you know, the most serious allegations um, uh, of sexual assault and uh, have, has not really helped uh, the, the the Conservatives, uh, I think it's fair to say, ongoing problem with how they deal with and approach um, uh, these very serious cases. That Let's not forget, this isn't actually the, the first case that have, has ended up in the courts. This isn't particular to Boris Johnson's premiership. So under Theresa May, had Charlie Elphick, um, who was convicted of sexual assault, and Andrew Griffiths, who a court found had uh, raped and abused his wife, both of whom had the whip given back to them so that they could vote in uh, the vote of no confidence for Theresa May. And uh, while the allegations against them were were still uh, very live, 
Elphick hadn't actually been charged at that point, but he had been arrested. And so the way in which the Conservative Party uh, approaches these kinds of very serious allegations and whether or not it actually sees them as serious or whether some of its members actually think they're a bit of a joke is now uh, under question again, aside from this case in particular, which we can't say much more about. Thank you, Isabel. Thank you, Kate. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of Coffeehouse Shots. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a rating and review. And to keep up to date with the world of Westminster, sign up for Unrivaled Insight and Analysis with Isabel Hardman's Evening Blend newsletter, delivered to your inbox every weekday evening. Sign up at www.spectator.co.uk forward slash evening hyphen blend.